Tony Burns. And this is Scott Burns. And we are Loving America. Coming to you from the crooked little house <laughs> in Deadwood, South Dakota. And speaking of Deadwood, you said you had an interesting uh, an well, interesting story. I do. Um, the reason we do these kinds of stories is because part of the love stories that we tell are loves of place. Right. We love South Dakota. Yes, we love we do. Deadwood. We love, we love the Black Hills. The, the history, the people, and the stories that pop up. Okay. And uh, Susan Henderson is a rancher that lives out by Edgemont. She got a notice in the mail declaring that her acres of land were infested with prairie dogs. In... We have prairie dogs out here? <laughs> well, Susan does. Oh, poor Susan. <laughs> but the uh, county board demanded that she kill 80% of them or they were going to take action themselves, which is not unusual for right. land management yeah. place. So she had an unusual response. She set up two water tanks on her property and drowned okay. over a thousand of oh them. Oh my God. Well, well, the state came in and said, you know, drowning is not ideal. <laughs> That's, that's not what we had in mind. No. The county said it wasn't fast enough, so they planned to go out to Edgemont and go deal with it. So she got okay. this injunction against them. But I really feel for her as a rancher because, you know, South Dakota is heavily agricultural. People live in the outdoors. They work in the outdoors. Right. Ranchers and farmers don't get enough credit for being conservators yes. of the land. They, yes, they, they know it. They mm-hmm. know the wildlife. They know the land. Um, and besides, Susan obviously doesn't want 8,000 prairie dogs no on her property. No kidding. The winter's been hard. So Right. It's, you know, it's hard to get rid of them. The board's itching to come out, and what they want to do is dump fumatoxin tablets <gasps> down all the holes. She knows a little bit about the wildlife on her own land, and she pointed out that, you know, yeah, that'll kill the prairie dogs and the bald eagles uh-huh. and the golden eagles uh-huh. and the burrowing owls that tend to you know, burrow. Burrow? <laughs> <laughs> oh my so, gosh. besides, there's no pressing emergency, and they could at least wait until the eagles and the owls, you know, Start later, to take in, care of some later of them. in the summer after mm-hmm. they're babies are born. Yeah, you know, you start could, to start to, start least, to yeah, yeah. At least give the babies a chance. I know. So, but wildlife management is a really complex thing, especially in South Dakota, because we have a lot of species of wildlife here. Right. Yeah, we have a lot well, of yeah, diverse. Yeah, because we have, we have the mountains, we have the plains. Yeah, exactly. We have and, a lot of, yeah. Uh, a lot of different land use needs. Mm-hmm. We got recreation, protected yep. habitats, yep. parks, agriculture, residential. Lakes. So you have to find some kind of balance. I, Prairie dogs aren't entirely negative. Negative. They no. do have, they're, they're a necessary part of grasslands mm-hmm. ecosystems. Right. You know, they aerate, their dung is, is puts nitrogen in the soil. They're a primary food source. Mm-hmm. The downsides <laughs> to prairie dogs, of course, is they're, they're a hazard to livestock yes. and to riders. Mm-hmm. They carry disease mm-hmm. and they encroach on people's property. I don't know if you remember years ago, uh, Naropa University in Boulder mm-hmm. had this huge prairie dog problem. Uh-huh. The, Naropa, you know, a Buddhist is, is yeah. themed school. I don't know if that's actually a monitor. But a typical Boulder, Colorado right, school, school. You know, yeah. and uh-huh. burning incense and, right. and playing the flute with their sho- shoes off in the trees and yep. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But they had this huge prairie dog problem, and they, they wanted to relocate them. Couldn't right. get anybody to take them. Didn't want to poison <laughs> them. Didn't want to shoot them. Yeah. So they had to come up with an eradication plan, which meant that all the rest of the hippies in Boulder came to protest the Buddhists in Boulder who didn't want to get rid of the prairie dogs in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> So then they couldn't use their land. The prairie dog population exploded, and they ended up with a bunch of rattlesnakes. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> so, rattlesnakes love prairie yeah, dogs. Uh, nature will find its own they balance. They will find its own so balance. You have to have some way of dealing with prairie dogs, okay. though. So, you know, poisoning, not a good thing. No. Uh, vacuuming, that's mm-hmm. it. <laughs> have you yep. ever seen them stick the, yep. they stick the tube down and mm-hmm. suck them all out of the ground and mm-hmm. take them somewhere else where they can become someone else's problem? Uh, that doesn't I, seem right either. It doesn't. <laughs> well, speaking of not right, there's a, a new product called the Rodenator. 
It's a compressed propane and O2 that they shove down into the ground and they blow the holes. They basically collapse the whole town down on the prairie dogs. Oh. That doesn't seem good. South Dakota actually has a prairie dog hunting lodge. <laughs> and oh, I, and you I, were telling me. I don't want to hurt this. anybody's business, oh so I'm not going to name them, but it's it's very upscale. Uh -huh. <laughs> like spas and you can go, you know, after dinner drinks. Uh, hunting prairie dogs is a contradiction in terms of. Yes. <laughs> you yes. Know, if you got to stalk a prairie dog, we're putting you on YouTube. <laughs> So, but there was one comment uh, that the people from Naropa made, and I wanted to explore it just a minute, just for okay. a minute before we get started. They said, okay. you know, if you replace the dog and prairie dog with rat, would they elicit the same emotion? Exactly. I thought, well, that's a good idea. Yeah, actually. So I thought, well, what are some of the other actual names for prairie dogs? Okay, whistle pig. Whistle pig is that one that we favorite. all knew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So prairie dog actually was originally named, of course, for their habitat and right. their warning call. Right. Sounds like a dog, but they have hundreds of different warning calls. Right. That's just the one we hear. We hear. So right. when they hear us, they bark at each other. We go, oh, prairie dog. <laughs> <laughs> Which, that's actually, according to Lewis and Clark, uh -huh. the, their journals, uh -huh. that's what the French called them. Oh. But when I looked it up, the French didn't call them that at all. They called them petit chien. What's a petit chien? Small dog. Petit, so, petit okay. chien. Petit, small dog. petit chien. Its genus, Cynomus, actually derives from the Greek for dog mouse. Dog mouse. Oh, I like dog mouse, but nobody's going to shoot you a dog mouse. You can also mouse. choose for whistle pig, rock chuck, meadow rat, petite chien, uh, pispisa, which is the Lakota term. Pispisa. I'm, what does I'm, it mean? Uh, prairie dog. <laughs> <laughs> One of our listeners called in and said you could just call them pea dog. Pea dog. Yo. Pea dog. Yo. <laughs> Barking ground squirrel. Pocket gopher. Pot, that's not what a pocket gopher is. Yes, yeah, it's prairie marmot. Prairie marmot. See, and, these are all really cute. And my though. particular favorite, huh. hawk bait. Okay, yeah, hawk bait. That works. But really, it doesn't matter what you call them because they are not going to come to you. No. <laughs> but if you do get them to come to you and you become some kind of South Dakota marmot pied piper, uh -huh. go out and see Susan in Edgemont. She could use your help. She could so use the help. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so while we're all contemplating that, we have a few other stories we're going to get into today. We have a feature coming up for you from the streets of Philadelphia and a lovely Indian uh, couple, couple, Eastern Indian mm -hmm. couple that we ran into in front of the St. Peter and Paul Cathedral mm -hmm. in, in Philadelphia. With their delightful child. That's uh -huh. actually what caught our attention. He was he was playing in the water fountain. He was absolutely delightful. And our love and history story for you is there Tony's. Go. It's going to be Paul and Lynn Harvey. Excellent. <laughs> All that's coming up and more on this episode of Love in America. Whoa, oh, oh, when there's love, love, love in the air. And we're and back in like South Dakota, having ridden through Philadelphia. Well, oh. we, actually, we, we rode to Philadelphia. Right. We walked through. We walked through. <laughs> we walked it tw over 25 miles in a day and a half. All over it Philadelphia. It was amazing. Beautiful was, city. Oh. And while we were there, had to, of course, go take some pictures down at the Love Statue. Of course. It's uh, the square downtown. And uh, we were what on is, our... What is that? Independence Square? No, I think it's Kennedy. Kennedy Square. Right. Um, but while we were on our way down uh -huh. there, we stopped in front of uh, the St. Peter and Paul Basilica. Uh-huh. 
absolutely stunning Beautiful. old building, uh, and they had a, a big water feature. Yeah, it was park. one. Of, yeah, it was one of those concrete, yeah. um, like like big concrete lots, and then the right. water spurted out like fountains. Yeah, like water whack-a-mole. Yeah, water whack-a-mole <laughs> with the kids. It was yep. awesome. It was so much fun. So as you're listening to uh, uh, some of the comments from this feature, understand the splattering and splashing yes. noises and the screaming children. Yes, is, <laughs> it's a perfectly normal scene of, of children playing behind us. And in front of us, a uh, mm. lovely Eastern Indian couple we yes. ran into, Sri and Swati. Swati. Mm-hmm. And we, at, we had an opportunity to ask them mm-hmm. their opinion on love and life, the universe and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Starting with the question of um, how they met. <laughs> <laughs> and then what happened was I was sitting on the email address for you know two weeks. And there was one holiday. I was in another uh, city. And I met some of my friends and they were like, what are you doing with your life? Uh, so I was like, all right, go ahead. I don't want to talk to you guys. I mean, I met some random different set of friends and they started the same thing. And I was like, all right. So I left and I was frustrated. I was like, all right, what the fuck? I'll just going to, I'm going to send an email. And in the email I said that I don't like people, you know, names. Means badly. <laughs> and I was like, that's okay. I can understand. She was very cool about it. And then we exchanged a couple of emails and then we met. <laughs> so I'm I'm glad that Swati is not a scary name for him anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to have friends too. They kind of yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even if you keep changing them, they keep saying the same thing. <laughs> that was too funny. Yeah, there's a message in here for you somewhere. Somewhere, Shree. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, this is a couple that has obviously found right. their their own happily ever mm-hmm. after. And and one of the difficulties we've had when we use that term or when we try to talk about lifelong love and right. happily ever after with people is. You know, the the perception with many that haven't found it, that it's some kind of, some kind of fairy tale. Yeah, it's some sort of magic. Yeah. Everybody's happy all the time. Yeah, you find it and that's Cartoon it. Cartoon butterflies. Just, yeah, you yeah. dance off into the distance. Into the sunset. Well, life cannot be a fairy tale. Your life is a mixed bag of things. And they both came from, from divorced relationships. Right. <laughs> They've both been married once before. And as we have discovered, many of our happily ever afters don't occur the first time around. And so it was really kind of cool because the, the child that they have is the child they had together. They didn't walk into the relationship with Johan. Blended family. I love that name. <laughs> he was awesome. <laughs> but we also asked him finally before we left, because we only had a brief moment with mm-hmm. him, uh, an important question about why we love one another. Mm-hmm. They had a ready answer. They did. The only thing that I thought was, uh, am I, do I want my son to be like him? And I, the answer was yes. So I was like, okay. <laughs> My perspective about life has changed, like, and you know, she's made me a better person. So. <laughs> Nice. That was Shri and Swati from uh, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We are still in contact with them, and I think I'll ask him for a picture of Johan oh, now. Oh, that, that would be awesome. A few years old. I'm sure he's a dashing young I'm man. I'm sure he is. He was a dashing young boy. <laughs> uh, speaking of dashing, we need to be dashing out of this segment. That was quick. That was good. Uh, hey, that's <laughs> smooth. Don't try this at home. <laughs> We're going to have to dash off for just a couple of minutes. But when we return, we have a love story of Paul and Lynn Harvey. And we will give you the rest of the story on Love in America. If you're loving what you're hearing on Love in America, nearly as much as Love in America is hearing that you're loving what you're hearing on Love in America, keep in mind that you're hearing the edited versions of our full-length podcasts. 
If you'd like to hear the full story, including features like Loving the Dogs, news from around America, interviews with love songwriters, and the carefree banter that happens in between all this free-for-all, become a patron. You can find information on that at our website, www.lovingamerica.us. Hello, Americans. This is Paul Harvey. Stand by for news. So many of you recognize that iconic voice. Oh, I do. Every time I hear Paul Harvey, I, I hear his voice coming over the old AM radio in my yep. grand folks' farmhouse. Yep. And after that, over the television, mm-hmm. over new, over everything, um, Paul Harvey actually he he really is an icon. He was with um, he was American radio broadcaster for ABC Radio Networks from 1952 to 2008. It was an amazing career. It was an incredible career. And actually, I take that back because it was actually until 2009. But I'll explain that as we get into the story. Let's get comfy and listen. Well, he actually started his career when he was only 14 years old. Really? Yeah. He started helping clean up a studio in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he lived. Uh And they eventually let him do news announcements and commercials. (laughs) When when was this? This was in 1933. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Found he, himself a Depression-era job working in a radio station. That's I cool. I know. Well, he went through, bounced around at various radio stations and started to make a name for himself. Ended up moving to St. Louis because he got a job offer there. And that's where he met his wife, Lynn also known as Angel. Really? Yes. And what was she doing? She actually had come in for an interview at KXOK in 1939 to be a program manager. She was actually a producer. She was uh, brilliant. Unusual yeah. for a woman in broadcasting at the time to achieve that kind of role. It was indeed. It, but she was brilliant. She got both of her BA and her master's in um, English. Mm-hmm. For a very short time, she okay. was a teacher. I like her better I already. Know, I know. I thought, <laughs> and for a short time, she was a teacher. <laughs> And then she was on radio. Hmm. Sound like someone we know? (laughs) Well, he ended up, he was totally smitten with her. And finally, it didn't say exactly how long, but it couldn't have been too long that he asked her out on a date. And during their first date, Paul did two things. First, he gave Lynn the nickname Angel. Nice. And she was Angel for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. Good friends knew her by Angel, not Lynn. And when he spoke of her on his radio programs, that's what he said. I remember. Angel. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Yep. And the second was um, he asked her to marry him. (laughs) Really? (laughs) (laughs) This kiddo would have been 21 years old, and on their before their first date was over, he was proposing to her. Wow. Some guys just rush things. Yeah. (laughs) You think? You think? But she waited a full year before she said. Uh, yeah, I do. This sounds familiar, too. Does that sound familiar, too? That's another story. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they were married the following year. And then by the mid-1940s, they had truly become a team. She was she did everything. She was his producer, director, editor, and writer. And she convinced him to move to Chicago in 1944. And that's where they ended up in Illinois for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And a local station, WENR, offered Paul a 10 p.m newscast it was an absolute success and it demonstrated the appeal of a late night newscast Mm -hmm. paul harvey really was the precursor 
because it, it was not just Paul Harvey News, it was Paul Harvey News and commentary. Right. And so he really was the precursor of a lot of the commentary talk shows. Right. In fact, Lynn had done a series called Dilemma, a radio series, and that was considered the original talk show format. It was hmm. very, I mean, brilliant. This couple was absolutely brilliant and so incredibly dedicated to each other. Um, their son, Paul Harvey. Junior. Junior, thank you. <laughs> uh, actually uh, joined the team in 1976. Really? I as, didn't realize it had been that early. Yes. He was one of the writers and one of him and Paul Sr. were the writers of the rest of the story. And that's so Paul's son was an interesting young man. He was a concert pianist. No kidding. And a radio broadcaster. Uh And he did occasionally host the rest of the story for his dad when he wasn't available. He was also a former host of News and Comment on ABC Radio Networks. Mm -hmm. But since 1976, all three of the family worked together up until they, they no longer were alive, up until Paul and uh, Lynn had passed away. Now, Paul, amongst his huge number of accolades... was Paul Sr. Sr. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about Sr. Okay. now. <laughs> he was inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame in 1990. And Angel was inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame in 1997. So she came in after him. But the really cool thing about her in, her induction, she was the first producer ever to enter the Radio Hall of Fame. Paul was also awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2005 by George Bush. Um, and just before he received that award, he said, this is the highest honor I've received since 60 some years ago when Angel said I do. Aww. So everything he did, he did with his family in mind. If you ever get a chance and you can find a bunch of them on YouTube and whatnot, you've got to listen to his voice. He really was, um, he was he was patriotic, he had good humor, kindness. He was considered the common sense of Americans. Yes. Now, besides being an amazing radio talk show host, <laughs> Harvey Sr. left several legacies. There's a multi-room exhibit devoted completely to Paul Harvey in Branson, Missouri. It is in the world's largest toy museum complex. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason for Branson is they have a property out there. They have a farm. Uh, It has an orchard. Paul says it's good to have something to fall back on, like farming, if the radio didn't take off Mm -hmm. in 1990 after he'd been doing this for 50 years. They bought the place back in um, 1990, and in 1993, there was a great flood out there, and a lot of it was mostly destroyed. But the townsfolk knew the Harveys. These were, even though they were extremely wealthy and had some pretty impressive friends, they were still just people. Over 50 years in the business, you probably meet a few folks. You meet a few folks, Mm -hmm. uh, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute. Uh, But they still talk about the day that Harvey, in his yellow Cadillac, drove over the hoses pumping water out of the flooded village. He did it twice, and it gave the National Guard fits. One of the locals who um, owned the Blue Owl restaurant said that Harvey loved the Blue Owl's fresh rhubarb pie. Mm-hmm. And uh, her name is Mary Hostetter. He says, when he's here, we don't give away his identity. But when he talks, everybody knows. Of course. <laughs> he said during the flood, he came up here in a boat and uh-huh. shouted, got any pies left? <laughs> 
You just don't get too much more American than that, dude. No, you don't. No, Paul you Harvey don't. and his rhubarb pie from a boat. <laughs> well, his ranch was called Reveal, R-E-V-E-I-L-E-E Ranch. Mm-hmm. You know what it was named after? No. Their dog. Okay. <laughs> Wasn't that Reveille? Reveille. That could be the way you pronounce it. Reveille. Yeah. Yeah. I put an N in there, didn't I? Renneville. Where the heck did Renneville it's, come it's from? It's somewhere in Illinois, I think. Reveille. And that was their dog. Right. And they, he was always up early in the he morning. He was always up early. <laughs> But outside of their own animals, they were absolutely devoted to animals and animal welfare. Another cool thing I didn't know about them. They've been part of the Humane Society since it was founded in 1954. No kidding. His son, Paul uh, Harvey Jr., is also involved. And Harvey discussed issues of animal cruelty in his broadcasts and publicly endorsed animal protection initiatives in Arizona and California. Mm -hmm. He was credited with having many of these passed because of his public endorsements. Right. He he had some pull. He had a lot of pull. This is a time in media. You know, we, we look at media now and there's a much different public perception of you know, now that we have the whole fake news thing mm-hmm, and all. But mm-hmm. at this time, you know, Paul Harvey and Walter Cronkite were the most trusted people in America. That he actually got that award as being the most trusted yeah. man in America <laughs> because he talked to people. Right. And even through his own personal opinions and doing the news, he always had at the end of it those funny little quirky bits mm-hmm. <laughs> about, you know, uh, there was. <laughs> they always sounded like, it sounded like he was smiling when he'd say them. Too. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And I'm, I'm sure he probably was because yes. you never see him not smiling. The other thing, speaking of animals, the other legacy that he left is that they established the Lynn Cooper Harvey Foundation for Animal Welfare and Protection. It also provides funding for children's services. So animals and kids, what? how could you go wrong? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Sounds like just the kind of thing an angel would do. Exactly. So they they really were a conservative couple. They they had conservative values. They were considered conservative Christians, but they didn't follow any particular sect. There's a famous uh, open letter from God that's attributed right. to Paul. He didn't actually write it, but you know once you once he says anything, it mm-hmm. he owns it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was written by Bob Zoloff, the founder of the Human Kindness Foundation, and it comes from his book called Just Another Spiritual Book. You act like I need you and your religions to stick up for me or win souls. For my sake, please don't do me any favors. I can stand quite well on my own, thank you. I don't need you to defend me. I don't need constant credit. I just want you to be good to each other. And another thing, I don't get all worked up over money or politics, so stop dragging my name into your dramas. For example, I swear to me that I never threatened Oral Roberts. I I never rode in any of Rajneesh's Rolls Royces, and I never told Pat Robertson to run for president. And I have never, ever had a conversation with Jim Baker or Jerry Falwell or Jimmy Swigert. Of course, come Judgment Day, I certainly intend to. (laughs) (laughs) But also, because he was a very deeply spiritual and religious man, he was very good friends with Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after he was nearly charged with espionage in 1951, he began a 20-year friendship with J. Edgar Hoover. I was going to say, Billy Graham, that's kind of a kindred spirit, but how did Hoover work into it? (laughs) I was waiting for you to ask, espionage? (laughs) He wasn't doing the Harpo thing and running messages taped to his leg to the embassy. Not exactly. 
quickly, he actually broke into restricted property at Argonne National Laboratory, which was a <laughs> nuclear test site near Chicago. And the reason he did it was to prove the labs reportedly lacked security. Wow. <laughs> well, it wasn't that lax. He was caught. Uh-huh. <laughs> Glad they didn't shoot him on the way in. I know. That would have been really bad PR. Well, it would be. Well, he actually was taken before the grand jury, but uh-huh. he was never indicted. And then a year after that, he, he met J. Edgar Hoover, and the two actually became really good friends. Officials in the bureaus were happy to, and I quote, add meat to the bones of Harvey's broadcast content, which he frequently sent them in advance. Mm-hmm. So he got some insider information that other people didn't get. Well, he could be trusted with it. He could be trusted. <laughs> he could be trusted. But as we all know, there was a lot of controversy surrounding J. Edgar Hoover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, and deservedly so. <laughs> absolutely. But Paul supported J. Edgar at the time, stating that it was a tough time that needed a tough person. You can't fault Hoover for not being a tough guy. Yeah, no kidding. Well, he later softened that opinion, but it was still, they were still good friends Mm -hmm. for 20 or 20 more years. Um, He also, despite the fact he was a conservative, he was a very conservative man, he spoke out against the Vietnam War at the Mm -hmm. urging of his son, Paul Jr. I remember Um, that too. mm -hmm, 1970 broadcast Mm -hmm. where he famously said, Mr. President, I love you but you're wrong, Mm -hmm. which of course sent the White House scrambling because he's a trusted man. And when you say that, that was some heavyweight words, heavyweight words. But Paul was the first person to acknowledge, despite everything else about him, he was a humble man. And he was the first person to acknowledge that his fame was not because of himself alone. It was also because of his wife and his kids. But then one day it was no longer just radio and me. We were three, and the adventure took on a whole new dimension. And Angel, would you please stand? And so with an angel on my shoulder and a gifted son by my side, I can take only a fraction of the credit. But on that iconic pausing, he would—he was the master of the pause. Oh, the William Shatner space. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, only, hey, Billy did not start it. <laughs> no, he did not. <laughs> Definitely Paul started that, where he'll talk and he'll give that momentary pause mm-hmm. to have you sort of leaning into the radio. Right. He kind of explained those pauses. The pauses are sometimes just because I'm overwhelmed in a search for words. My ABC colleagues have often threatened to save up all the pauses in the Paul Harvey News broadcast. (laughs) Sells more spot announcements in there. Harvey's programs reached as many as 24 million people a week. He was carried on 1,200 radio stations and 400 American Forces Network stations and 300 newspapers. But all good things must come to an end. And the first one who passed away was actually Lynn. He had announced on his radio program that she had leukemia. Oh, no. And, of course, the outreach was just absolutely amazing. Um, She died on May 3rd, 2008. He followed her less than a year later on February 28th, 2009. But in pure Paul Harvey style, his last broadcast was 19 days before that, February 9th. Mm -hmm. They were married for 68 years, shared life and business, and were broadcasting's longest-running duo. Now you know the rest. <laughs>
of the story. <laughs> Paul Harvey, good day. Whoa, oh, oh, when there's love, love, love in the air. Yeah, well, that was that was right according to plan. That's the whole show. Actually, it was because our our plan with Love in America from the beginning was to tell stories of people's loves of place, of mm-hmm. people's loves of purpose, and of one another. Yes. And I think we covered all. I think all we of covered them. it all. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So hopefully you guys followed all that. You know the rest of the story. You know a few things about prairie dogs and yep. does your dog love you? If you're a patron, you got to hear that part of the story. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot of ground to cover. That is a lot of ground to cover. Yep, yep. You got to hear from God. Wow. You don't get this on just any show. Got to hear from God and Tony. Life's, life's complete now. We're going to wrap this puppy up. That sounds, oh, puppy. We're back to the dogs, aren't we? <laughs> Can't stay away from it. It just gets rough. Oh, no. We're not going to do dog puns. No. We are, but we're going to do them off, off mic. Okay. In, in time for another tale. And the, rest, <laughs> and the rest of you, if you come up with any more of those, feel free to write in. We love to hear from you. <laughs> The easiest way to contact us is to go to our website, www.loveinamerica, L-O-V-I-N, America.us. Just push any button on there. Eventually, <laughs> you'll get to us. <laughs> and we're going to be getting to next week's work, and we'll look forward to sharing with that with you on Love in America. Love in America.